Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. I was sitting in a cafe this week and uh, I was sitting at my table and to my right there was a lady sitting there with her back to the wall, uh, just minding her own business, sitting there. Shortly thereafter, a friend of hers came in and sat opposite her. Now her friend came in carrying two bags and then what unfolded was just this horrifying scenario that I'm sure we can all relate to. This lady comes in with her bags, puts them down on the floor, sits down, then reaches into one of the bags and pulls out a Christmas gift, presents it across the table to her friend, oh, Merry Christmas. Now a friend responds with horror, I think, saying, oh, I haven't even started my Christmas shopping yet. I don't have anything for you. And we all know that moment when someone gets us a gift, but we haven't gotten them anything or they've, or we've gotten them a gift and they haven't gotten us anything equally awkward. And so there's this, there's this horrifying situation unfolding at the table next to me. And this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Christmas, right? <laughs> the tip of the iceberg of the stresses that we experience. Uh, there are family members that, if you're honest with yourself, you really don't want to see in two weeks' time uh, on Christmas Day. Yeah? Okay. Actually, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> there are deadlines that are looming. There are so many things that need to get done uh, before Christmas Day or by the time work wraps up. If you're in business, you've probably got numbers to hit by the end of the year. There's pressure with that. You might have cranky children who are just a bit crankier at this time of year. If you're like me and you're not into cooking, there are culinary pressures at this time of year. A lot of us are really tired. We have just enough energy to let gravity take hold and fall over the finish line at the end of the year. For lots of us, there are financial pressures. For lots of people in our city, there are financial pressures. How can I afford to buy my kids Christmas presents? How can I afford to buy my family Christmas presents? What are other people going to think? How am I going to afford to feed my family when they come round for Christmas lunch? What are they going to think of what's on the table? There's the pressures of isolation. I haven't actually got anyone to spend Christmas with. That's stressful. And then for others of us, there's the deep yawning wound of loss. There's someone who's not sitting at our Christmas table for perhaps the first time this year or the subsequent time, and we feel the stress of that. We feel the pressure and the woundedness of that. Christmas can be a really stressful time of year. Now, there's good stress, right? There's the kind of stress uh, that increases your alertness and your energy and your productivity. It's the kind of stress you want if you're making a presentation at work or if you're sitting an exam or if you're playing sport. That's a good kind of stress. It's not the kind of stress we're talking about this morning uh, that Christmas brings up in us. What we're talking about is this negative stress that, that seems to, to come up um, at Christmas time. It kind of, it's the kind of stress where it feels like something is, something is looming, something is coming at you that's going to be too strong for you. Uh, something is coming for you that will overwhelm you with its strength. Now, when we feel that, when our security feels threatened by that, by this looming pressure, um, our adrenaline starts to pump, our cortisol levels rise, and it basically prepares us to fight. Now, what are we fighting? We're fighting Christmas? We're fighting Santa? I don't know. I don't think it's Christmas itself. I think it's something that happens at Christmas that we're roused into this state of stress about. What is it that activates this stress response in us at Christmas? Maybe it's Santa for you. I don't know. don't want to assume. What is it about Christmas that makes us feel like we're losing our usually pretty good grip on life? 
I want to suggest that Christmas has this amazing ability to amplify existing pressures and demands in our lives. These things, these things are not unique to Christmas, loss and financial pressures and work pressures and deadlines. They happen throughout the course of the year, but it's something about Christmas manages for them to happen all at the same time, compounded. It's like Christmas throws all of these existing demands and pressures into a pressure cooker and amplifies their combined effect, plugs it into a speaker, and that the combined effect is then amplified for everyone to hear, and there's just this overwhelming pressure and stress. Another way of putting it is that Christmas has this ability to, to, to tear off this carefully placed band-aid that we usually have over the wounds in our lives, over the needs in our lives, over the brokenness in our lives. And it pulls it back at Christmas so that we see the wound and then it shoves, it, shoves the wound in our face. <laughs> These wounds are usually out of sight, out of our sight, out of, out, of, out of other people's sight. We push them down, we put a band-aid over them. But Christmas manages to reveal them and expose them. When else in the year are you more aware of the gaping wounds and needs in your life, be it financial, be it relational, be it physical, than at Christmas time? And what's our response? What's our response in coming face to face with the brokenness that we're so good at covering up 11 months of the year? I think our response is that we yearn for wholeness. It's what we experienced this morning through that song and through the reading. We yearn for wholeness. We yearn to be with God. You know, we had a team that recently went to Madagascar and what I saw in them as they came back from experiencing such brokenness over there, from experiencing the deep, devastating poverty in Madagascar is they came back with a yearning for wholeness. Their experience of brokenness, being confronted with brokenness, brought up in them a yearning for wholeness. I felt that in hearing their stories when they came back. The empty chair at the Christmas table makes us yearn that that person would be back with us again. For wholeness. Screaming, cranky kids make us yearn for peace. <laughs> Unrelenting deadlines at work make us yearn for grace. There's something about brokenness and pressure that makes us yearn for wholeness. Now, because it's sometimes too confronting and too unbearable to be face to face with the brokenness and need in our own life, we go down one of two paths a lot of the time. Either we give up altogether and we enter into hopelessness and despair. That's a reality for a lot of people at Christmas time. Speak to anyone in healthcare, it's a reality at Christmas time. Anyone in the police. Or what we do is we decide to try to achieve peace and wholeness for ourselves and by so doing end up in a knot of stress. Here's how it goes. We might see the David Jones Christmas ad. How do you do Christmas? You know the one? We might walk through the shopping centre, see all the beautiful, beautiful curated decorations. Um, we might see lots of ads about joy and peace and family, the Christmas dream. And it speaks so soothingly to our brokenness and it tells us that if we can only achieve peace and achieve joy and togetherness and unity, if we can only reach this bar and meet these Christmas dream expectations, then we will be whole. Then we won't need to be confronted by the wounds and the brokenness and the needs in our lives anymore if we can just achieve this Christmas dream then we will be whole. It will meet the yearning that our brokenness brings up in us. 
So what do we do? We take things into our own hands. We're like, yes, we dive in. We're frenzied in the pursuit of peace. And out we go, this frenzy of activity as we hurtle towards Christmas. We work and shop and plan and party and cook and worry and stress and eat and drink and finally come to breaking point and realise that in the process of trying to heal ourselves, trying to achieve peace and joy, we've lost the very thing that we set out to achieve. St Cyril of Jerusalem, uh, an ancient writer, said this, "'The wounds of mankind are beyond our healing.'" We're in a broken world. You don't need to look very far to see that there are wounds and needs and brokenness all around us, within us, all through our world. Healing cannot come from within a broken system. The wounds of mankind are beyond our healing. Nothing from within our world will ever be able to make it right. Now, for those of you who've been wondering when I'm ever going to get to the passage, enter Jesus. Cue Jesus. And so today, in our stressful, frenzied pre-Christmas season, he has three little words to say to us. Do not worry. Now, I don't know about you, but my initial reaction to that is, oh, great, thanks, Jesus, awesome, that's really helpful. That's kind of like saying to a plane full of people uh, in the middle of turbulence with a crying air hostess and a cabin manager who's yelling at everybody, just stay calm. Just stay calm. That's kind of how that feels to me. Don't worry. I'm like, well, really? Okay, why? Why shouldn't I worry? Give me a really good reason that I shouldn't worry right now. Do you know what's going on in my life? But then I thought about it. I thought, okay, Emily, just just breathe. (laughs) Just breathe. Remember. And I did remember that Jesus was human, that he understands the pressures of human life because he was a human who had no money or home who had been a refugee, who had been abandoned by his friends, who sweated drops of blood before he was crucified to make a way for us to experience wholeness in God. I think maybe he knows a thing or two about stress and worry. So I've decided to listen to him. I hope you will too. And so he says to us, do not worry. Still what I want to know is why. Why can you say that, Jesus, with so much confidence? Unless you have a solution to my needs, Jesus. Unless you have a way to bring wholeness to my brokenness and to meet my needs, what other option actually do I have than to preoccupy myself with my brokenness and my needs and my wounds in the hope that I can make it right? What other option is there? Despair? Hopelessness? Doesn't sound like much fun either. Jesus, what other option do we have? Well, let's see. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. And there we have it actually in the first word, the answer to our question, therefore, do not worry. That's the why. Well, therefore what? That doesn't tell us anything. Now we need to remember that uh, the biblical writers didn't write the little subheadings in your Bible, which says that the heading there is do not worry. And so this passage, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was teaching about what life looks like in his kingdom. Um, and this from verse 25 just follows on from what comes before. And it turns out that what comes before provides the why, provides the reason that we don't need to worry. So we need to reverse back up to verse 19 where he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy 
and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, this world is so fragile and so broken. If you pour your life into this earth, it's like pouring it into a cup that's full of cracks. It's just going to leak out. It's not secure. It's not safe. It's a broken system. Don't invest in a broken system. You know, we're so desperate for peace and wholeness and we set our hearts on getting at things from this world, getting out, wringing peace out of this world through perfect dinners and trees and carols and parties and presents. But it always disappoints, doesn't it? Do you ever get to the end of Christmas Day and it's, there's all this hype and expectations and you've been driving, driving, driving and then you think, oh, that didn't really fulfill. That didn't really satisfy this deep yearning of my heart. Investing in earth leaks It's a broken system. What Jesus is saying is that when your inner orientation, your heart is set on the things of the world and trying to draw wholeness and and what you need out of this world, the result will always be disappointment and worry and stress. This world can never satisfy us and provide us what we need. In and of ourselves, we can never achieve what we yearn for. We lose the joy, and, the joy and the peace that we hope for by striving for it. The wounds of mankind are beyond our healing. But yes, Jesus says there is another way. It doesn't have to be just striving or hopelessness and despair. There is another way. And here's the clue, verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. There's something secure about heaven. It's a cup that has no cracks in it. The kingdom of God, in other words, heaven. It's a place that is beyond the material world that we see around us. And it's beyond the resources that we have at our hand. It's, it's, something, it's something transcendent and beyond that. It's a resource beyond what we can see that we can draw on to give us what we yearn for and what we need. And if heaven is secure from thieves and secure from decay, if it's a place of wholeness, then perhaps it's also a place of peace that's secure from stress and worry, the place where God is. And perhaps there could be a way to experience peace in our lives this Christmas. So as we come to the passage that was read for us earlier, it becomes clear that the key to experiencing peace in our lives starts with shifting the orientation of our heart from achieving through this world, holding, being the two-and-a-half-year-old who holds on to the toy, <laughs> to receiving from God. In the kingdom. How do we do that? We start by shifting our gaze. I don't know if you noticed it, but in this passage, Jesus commands us three times, do not worry. And, he comm- and, he, and three times he directs our attention away from our worries and towards the God who always provides our every need. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry, that's number one, about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then redirection, look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, God meets their needs. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Here we go, second time, look over here. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was clothed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Number two, do not worry for the second time, saying, and aren't these such Christmas questions, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then the third time, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry, number three, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love how Jesus gets our experience. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I know. Jesus is saying here that there's a way out of stress and worry, and it's not one that we need to conjure up or create ourselves. It's found in life in his kingdom, and it starts by shifting your hope of peace from the things of this world which always disappoint and provoke further worry to God who never disappoints and gives us peace in exchange for our worries. So why does Jesus say don't worry? What's the alternative that's available to us? Jesus is saying to us, let me meet your needs. Instead of running off and trying to find your own peace and ending up in knots of stress, Look to how I am the God who meets your needs and bring your broken, hurting, stressed out self to me and swap your worries for my peace. The earth is not your ultimate home and nothing in it can provide you with ultimate healing for your life. Only God can do that, the one who cares for birds and flowers and cares so much more for you and I. So when you feel your brokenness, when you come face to face with wounds that the band-aid has been ripped off, instead of trying to heal yourself through a frenzy of activity at Christmas time, would you allow your brokenness to move you to gaze upon God and his provision and how, care, how much he cares for you? Stop trying to do the right thing and simply get your heart right. We can never grab peace externally and try to cram it into our hearts, outside in. It can't work that way. We can only experience peace from God internally and let it flow out to transform our experience of life from the inside out, not the outside in. I've been spending a lot of time reading the Psalms lately, so I love that there were a couple of Psalms that have already been read today. Um, and I love the insights that King David gives in a lot of his Psalms. Um, and I'm going to read a few excerpts from some of the Psalms that I have been reading um, that just give us such amazing insight into King David's experience of God in the middle of stress, of what, how, of what he has learned God's character to be like, how he has found peace in God in the midst of in- incredible stress. This is incredible. Listen to this. Psalm 11. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. 17. Guard me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. 
18, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. 21, the king trusts in the Lord and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he will not be moved. 22, in you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. 27, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts. Now why have I laboured that? It's for the cumulative impact of what he's saying to us about who God is. Why does the psalmist describe God in these terms? It's because he finds peace in the knowledge that God is with him. And why does that knowledge give him peace? It's because there is one in whom he trusts who is stronger than he is, who can take the hit of the pressure so that he can live in peace. God is his refuge. God is his rock. God is his shelter so that when the storms of life come, when the pressures of Christmas come, God can be our shelter because he is with us. He can take the hit and the force of the pressure so that we can be at peace. You know when you're in the city and you're in a wind tunnel and it's blustery and it's really windy and you walk around the right corner and all of a sudden... It's peaceful. That's like God. He's like a really big building in the city that cuts the wind. He blocks the wind. He's like our windbreaker, the windbreaker in our lives, an internal windbreaker given he lives inside those of us who trust in Jesus. So that no matter what the pressures in our lives, when we turn to him, when we dwell in him, he is our windbreaker. He blocks the wind. He takes the pressure so that we can experience peace in the midst of of the storm in the midst of stress. Does that make sense? And only God is strong enough to be a windbreaker from us for us so that we can experience peace. We can't do that for ourselves. No one else can do that for us. Nothing of this world can do that for us. Only God is strong enough to be that windbreaker for us. That's why his kingdom is a place of peace because its ruler is the prince of peace. He takes the brunt of the pressure of life so that those who live in his kingdom, anyone who trusts in Jesus, can experience peace in him. That's why I started by saying, oh, what a wonderful thing to only dwell, to dwell in God, like that song was saying, to only dwell in you, God. Peace, protected, like in the cleft of a rock in a storm. Why does Jesus tell us instead of worrying to seek first God's kingdom, instead of obsessing over problems and running over them in our head and trying to find a solution ourselves to achieve peace and healing ourselves, why should we seek God's kingdom? Because God's kingdom is where you'll find peace in the shelter of God's strength. Would you let him be your strength this morning? so that you can have peace? Would you let him take the brunt of the wind for you? Would you let him deal with the pressure 
so that you can experience peace in him? How do we get there? How do, if you, the answer is yes, and let me tell you it's yes for me. How do we get there? What do we do? I think the first step for us is to accept our brokenness when we're face to face with the wounds and the needs in our lives that will inevitably arise at Christmas time instead of allowing that to drive us to either hopelessness and despair or drive us into this frenzy of activity trying to put things right ourselves. Allow it to propel you to God and rest in his strength. Come to him as you are, accepting your brokenness and ask him for his wholeness and his peace in exchange for your brokenness, in exchange for your worries and your needs. Tell him you want to live in his kingdom under the shelter of his care, under the shelter of the reign of the Prince of Peace, that you want him to take the brunt of the stresses and the pain in your life. Now, he doesn't promise that our circumstances are going to change overnight. I don't know that he even promises they're going to change ever, but what he does promise is that he will be with us. The wonder of Christmas is that the Prince of Peace promises to be with you, to be a strength for you, so that you might dwell in peace with him. He promises to take the force of the pressures in your life if you will let him so you might experience peace in the midst of your circumstances. Peace at Christmas. Who would have thought that would be possible? If we would only give up trying to achieve peace and simply receive it from him. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.